want to say that um, today's sermon is a high-risk sermon. Uh, some of you are excited, some of you are terrified. Uh, but it is a high-risk sermon. Um, my con- the conclusions, doctrinal conclusions and applications of this sermon are different from what I thought they would be a week ago. So that's interesting. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very famous preacher in London in the latter part of the last century, he said this. He said, it always, I always get nerves around, around preachers that are constantly changing their, constantly tra- changing their doctrine. He said, but I get equally nervous around those who never do. Um, and so I think on this one, as a result of a bit, perhaps a bit more rigorous study, and I guess a sense of urgency when you've got Sunday looming, um, it's been interesting. Um, so what we are doing uh, with this new series, What a Stunner, is we are looking at the gospel uh, as the treasure and the jewel, the wonderful multifaceted diamond that it is, but looking every week through a different facet of the gospel. We're bringing out a different element of its glory and splendor and we're doing it um, by looking at creation and fall, Israel, Jesus and the new creation. Every Sunday we're going through those four stages in each sermon and each gospel theme that we are looking at. Today's theme is Sabbath rest. We are looking at Sabbath rest today. Now first I want to just say this, that the whole idea of Sabbath rest fits under the broader category of Shalom. Uh, Shalom is a Hebrew word, uh, and it basically means um, it is God's, the verb to to Shalom is to provide all that is needed in order that someone might be whole and complete. It's to restore, it's 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 when God in his mercy moves upon a fragmented person or a fragmented community and brings about wholeness and completion. It's a beautiful thing, it represents the absolute goodness of God's heart, his desire that we do not live broken, shattered, fragmented lives, but that we are put back together by him through relationship with him. That's the idea of shalom. Um, it's a very important, very important word. I guess probably the closest we get to it in our culture is well-being. It's not as rich, but it's probably the closest that we get to it. Now, well-being is a word we're all familiar with. Uh, the majority of gyms, health clubs and spas have it as part of their strap line somewhere. Come here and do these particular exercises, techniques, or follow this particular diet, and you will end up with a state of well-being. That is the promise. I think I would describe it. It's a, it's 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 the pot of gold at the end of many a stressed-out Londoner's rainbow. If, if I can just get to well-being, well, shalom is a richer, a much richer idea, um, more than encompasses well-being, and is right at the centre of God's heart for His creation and for his people. And so we see that from the earliest of creation, as we'll look at in just a moment, Sabbath rest is a central part of God's plan for our shalom, for our well-being, for our completion and restoration in him. So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to start off looking at creation and fall. Let me just pray. Father, please help me as we go through uh, this incredible, incredible scriptures we're going to look at today with all the, all the seriousness of them all the glory of them, all the, all the sense of anticipation and delight uh, and yet solemnity that they bring. I pray, help us to uh, scale the heights and the breadths and the depths of it. Help us to come to a place uh, at the end of it, Lord, where we feel like we're in a, in a place of um, uh, understanding and a place of being
being able to increasingly walk in the Sabbath rest that you want for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. The first mention of Sabbath rest in the Bible is magnificent. If we read the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Pause. Let me just say this. If you have to leave halfway through this sermon, it's not going to work. All of the threads of this come together right at the end. Just to say that. So if you leave halfway through and you feel confused, yes. <laughs> Follow the rest of it online. This it all comes together at the end. So I just wanted to say that. Sorry. As the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, Saturday, and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I want to draw your attention to three important words here. Rest, the Sabbath, it just means to cease from one's work. At its most simple meaning, it means to, to, to not do what you were doing before. I was employed in this, I was labouring in this area, now I'm going to have a restaurant, I'm going to stop doing it. We're told that God blessed the seventh day. It's a remarkable phrase. That word blessed means to even to praise or to honour or to bow the knee to. So you see even God at this stage in creation almost humbling himself before the seventh day. It's remarkable. It's a remarkable thing. God, in, his, in, his, in all of his omnipotence, which means he has all power, doesn't get tired or worn out, he voluntarily almost humbles himself under this seventh day and he, 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 he blesses it. And then we're told that he sanctifies it, which means to cleanse or, or to set apart and make, make holy. So it's a very big moment here. Um, one theologian put it like this, of course, an infinite and immortal God has no physical need of rest as humans do. Rather, he was deliberately setting a precedent for his creatures. If God himself is prepared to observe a Sabbath rest, then certainly no mere mortal being dare balk at doing likewise. We'll look as it goes on how that is definitely proves to be the case. God is not tired. God is not worn out at this point. Okay? He simply ceases from his work in order to enjoy his labours and set a pattern for his Creatures. So it's the, the, the first Sabbath we come, we come to is magnificent. There's nothing negative about it. God's not worn out. The work hasn't been negative. We're told that he created all things and it was very good. God was very happy with what he'd done. Everything's fruitful, productive. Blessing, blessing, blessing. And still in that context, God says, and I'm going to take a rest. And so Sabbath rest is at the centre of creation. It's not something that comes in after sin and after corruption. No, it's right there at the beginning. And it's part of God's plan for blessing for his creation. Then in Genesis chapter 3, we find the man and the woman deliberately dishonour God and disobey his one prohibition. God was very liberal, you know, eat from any tree, but one prohibition, don't eat from that tree, they eat from that tree. And as a result, God brings a judgment on them. And, the, and in verses 16 to 19 of chapter 3, God says this to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This is all God's judgment on them for their sin. This isn't God's 
um, uh, uh, initial intent for them. This was all as a result of their sin. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Now in this moment in history where God brings this judgment on them for their sin and banishes them from the garden of delights, in this moment there is no mention of rest. Nothing else is said about it. And yet what becomes clear is this. Life is going to change from this point on. Before life was, it did involve work. The man was put to work in the garden. The woman to come alongside and help him. They were to work and cultivate and nurture and build. They weren't going to just sit around. There was work, but it was going to be fruitful. wasn't going to be toilsome. wasn't going to be draining. wasn't going to be frustrating. wasn't going to be negative. It was all good, and they were going to rest. Now, suddenly, it's going to be toilsome. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be frustrating. Um, there are two particular areas of, of labor, if you like. Her labour in childbirth, his labour in work in the ground will become uh, painful for her, for him will become futile and frustrating. Life is going to become stressful. And so one thing we can be sure of is this. If rest was needed before, how much more will rest be needed now? If Sabbath was a big deal then, how much more Is Sabbath a big deal now? Rest now becomes a matter of urgency because of what life has become. Then as we track things through historically through the Old Testament, we see God creates for himself a nation from a man called Abraham and a woman called Sarah. He creates for himself a nation, the nation of Israel. And what we realise is that God's desire is to have a holy nation. What that means is this is a people that are set apart for him and for his purpose. Not so they might just enjoy him in a little bubble, but so that they might shine out to the nations around them what it's like to know God, what it's like to walk with God, and for the other nations looking on to be amazed and to be, and, and to be provoked to wanting to ask questions and find out about the Lord themselves. The Sabbath is central to the corporate life of this people. We'll look at some scriptures in just a moment. But the Sabbath is right in the middle there. Now, a bit of context for you. In those days, all nations would worship gods. Explicitly. We all still worship gods now, only it's much more implicit, less obvious. But in those days, everyone would worship gods of some sort. And most of the time, they would be represented by statues, idols that they had made by their own hands. Now, these gods were the gods of their own imagination. They had kind of created them, and out of their own superstitions, fears, anxieties, sinfulness, fallenness, had kind of imposed these demands these gods then wanted for them. And then they would live under the oppression of those demands. And, And really, their worship would look like fear, superstition, it was a slavery, had to commit certain, often terrible things in order to in quotes, appease these so-called gods, and that's what worship was like worship was not restful, worship was not joyful, it was an oppressive hard slog, and it was often the, the things that were so-called required of them by these gods were horrible, lurid, vile perverse, and really destructive that's the context God, God brings Israel uh, into this into this context, and he, he creates a very different way of living for them. 
the first instance to draw your attention to around the Sabbath is around this idea that, that where, where God feeds them bread from heaven. This mysterious season where they're living in the wilderness, they haven't got any farms or lands to work, so God feeds them with this very mysterious uh, food of angels, it's referred to somewhere. It's like this wafery kind of bread, and it just it, every morning there's just a layer of it on the floor, and they're to go out and, and get enough for a day. And Let's read what happens in Exodus chapter 16 in this situation. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. Next slide, please, Rach. So they laid it aside till the morning, thank you, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for the day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. On the seventh day, it's a Sabbath, there won't be any. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. There was a test for them. And it was a very simple test. And it's this. Gather twice as much on Friday, on Saturday. Just stay in your tent. It's not hard. Yeah? It's not like really complicated. It's not some sort of IQ test. If you can solve this, you're right. No. Just stay in your tent. Don't go out looking for bread. What is it with people? You can imagine it, can't you? Saturday morning, it's like, well, we have got, we have got enough because we got two lots yesterday. You know, I'll just have a quick scout just around the edge of the tent. I won't, I won't, it's not really like going out. It's just it's a little walk. Just do a quick lap of the tent. And there might be a bit extra. I just said, don't. There's this test. And the, the test, I guess, fundamentally kind of um, uh, exists within this whole idea of if I trust God, will there be enough? That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah? If I do it God's way, will there still be enough? There it begins to get, it's that faith issue. Or do I just need to kind of, just chivvy it along a bit? Help him out a bit? I know he said there'll be enough, but you know, times are hard. Yeah? Or God's up there, we're down here, he doesn't know what it's like. It's pressure down here. It's pressure, he doesn't really understand. That, it's, a, it's a faith issue, God knows it's a faith issue, so he puts it forward to them as a test so it's quite a, just a, a vivid illustration of how the thing works let me just read to you from the Lord just so you get a sense of the seriousness in God's heart about the Sabbath Exodus 20 remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labour and do all your work the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work you, your son, your daughter your male servant your female servant your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Next slide please, Rach. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Did you hear that? Goodness. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days. 
shall work be done. Seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Above all, why so serious? Yeah? Why so serious? If he's God, he must have got it right. So why? I think it's a, it's a sign of how seriously God takes shalom. It's, it, is, it is a reflection of his seriousness about you being restored, us, his people, being restored to completion and wholeness in him. And not living frantic, disjointed, fragmented, broken, pathetic lives. It's very, very huge. And then look at Leviticus 25, it goes even further. Next slide please, Rach. No, it's not coming up. Okay, it's frozen. That's life. I will refer to the good old-fashioned page. Right, here we go. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, so now he's saying you're going to come out of the wilderness into the land, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. In the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. This is, I mean, this is remarkable. This is a big deal to God. It's not just people, it's creation. You think, what is this? This is staggering, staggering stuff. And it, it is very clear that definitely what we've got at this stage in, the, in salvation history is this. If I scorn the Sabbath, if I scorn the Sabbath, I'm scorning God, I'm saying, I know best, I'm living in pride, and I'm living in unbelief. And you don't really know. You, you study things, Lord, but you don't really understand what it's like. I know best. If we scorn the Sabbath, then as a community, we become a community of compromise. A community of people that say, yeah, we, we kind of do follow God and we pay him his dues, but he doesn't really get what life is like and what's needed, so we really do it our way. And really frighteningly, if we continue doing that, then our witness to the nations around us is our God's just like yours. Because our life is just as frantic as yours. We're just as anxious as you. We're just as fragmented and broken as you. This is what your life is like because of the kind of gods you serve. It's just the same. This is huge. This is the situation that we have. Needless to say, the Israelites did not observe the Sabbath. Time and time again, they broke the Sabbath. And so they're exiled from their promised land, which to them was part of God's, it was part of God's rest for them. They're exiled from rest so that the land could have a rest from them. Between this point in history and the coming of Jesus, there is anything but rest. Israel is torn apart by invading nations. And come the time of Jesus, they're under the iron fist of Rome. 
And not only that, even within itself as a nation, it's tearing itself apart between the progressives, those who want to go along with Hellenization, becoming much more Greek, influenced by the, the rapidly, uh, very influential Greek culture and Greek way of life and Greek approach to life, and the traditionalists who want to know we're Jews and we're going to go even more extreme and make it, add even more rules to the, to the Jewish law because we want to really want to be Jewish. It's being torn apart. There's no rest. There's nothing going on here, um, even in a general sense. Jesus enters into the scene. Rachel, what is the likelihood of slides? That one didn't exist. That would explain it. Alright, I love the way you said that very graciously. There's no sharp edge to that at all. God bless you. <laughs> Hold on, don't ruin the prize. Hold on. So Jesus has to really... Jesus has to really face two situations when he enters into Israel, Palestine. He's got the traditionists, he's got the Pharisees, who were a kind of a social, religious, political group that, that came into existence around 100 BC. And they were very, very strong on Jewish, Jewishness, Jewish law. They observed the Sabbath and some. They didn't just observe the Sabbath and some. They added all kinds of all kinds of things. They were as strict as possible, very very strict. And Jesus had to confront them with some teaching on the Sabbath. And then Jesus begins to say some things to just uh, Joe public, just general people around, which again begins to point somewhere quite interesting. So we're, we're you're going to feel a sense in this point now of something revolving and moving. You think, oh, what's going on here? So let's look at the situation which Jesus has here with the Pharisees. First of all, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then another story, when he, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he went on from there into the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. They asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep who falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. It was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So Jesus says two very important things here about the Sabbath as the things move into a, a bit of a climax. The first thing is this. The Sabbath is made for us. It's God's gift to us. It's not like, oh no, that, that thing again. It's not that we are supposed to be enslaved or the Jews were supposed to be enslaved to this system, this scenario, I oh, know we've got to do that. No, it was God saying, it's for you. It's, I've given it to you for your good, for your blessing, for your restoration, for your refreshment. The Pharisees had got into a kind of way of thinking which was much more, it was more like something, this is what we're made for. Oh, no, 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 it's made for you. And then secondly, mercy and compassion trump the Sabbath. There's kingdom things to be done, sharing the good news, healing the sick and all that. And you can do that on the Sabbath. It's not in God's heart to stop you doing that kind of thing on, on the Sabbath. So it's interesting Jesus bringing some things to a point here. And oh, you think, oh okay, it's interesting. I didn't realise. Really breaking a kind of a, how can I describe it? 
uh, uh, I kind of approached the Sabbath that's just like a heavy, heavy yoke that would really suck the life out. No, this is for life. It's for life, it's for health, it's for wholeness. And then Jesus says this to the general public, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor, all, and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And that word rest, is that it's important. It, it, the, um, the Jews created a, um, a copy of the Old Testament that was written in, in Greek, known as the Septuagint. And if you go back and look in the Septuagint in the, uh, Genesis 2, the first Sabbath, the root word for rest that's used is the same as this word here. I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I want to just keep that up there for a minute and look at a few things in there, because it's, it's the thing's starting to move. Jesus points to himself, the Sabbath rest. Jesus says, you want, you want rest? He doesn't say, well, guys, you, come on, day seven. doesn't do that. He says, come to me. And he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, rabbis in those days, they would use the phrase yoke to describe their teaching. That's what it meant. So he's saying, take my teaching upon you. And then, and then he's saying, and learn from me and imitate me. So watch me and take my teaching. If you watch me and imitate me and take my teaching, you'll find Sabbath for your souls. It's the turning point of history. 
Bottom's pipe. And then we have, three days after that, the turning point of history. I will say that again, because now the whole sermon begins to come together. Three days after the cross, when Jesus rises from the dead, we have the turning point of history. When Jesus rises from the dead physically, it's the beginning of a new age in in, in, in the entire purposes of God. I wish I could I wish God would give me the eloquence to put it in such a way that would help you understand what I'm actually saying here. Because I think for me, in, pre- in preparing this sermon, for the, I've seen it in, with fresh eyes. And I'm like, oh, you've got to get it. Right? Listen, at the resurrection of Christ, the, 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 the next age, the age to come, begins to break in to this age. In, 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 in the whole of the setting up of God's purposes and the ages, at the resurrection of Christ, there's such a huge moment. It's an, it's a it's an it's another Genesis. It's like a new the, a new humanity comes out of the ground, as in Genesis, where God forms Adam out of the ground. Here we see a new a new humanity in Christ coming out of the ground, made for glory and made for the age to come. It, and and the new age begins to kick in, and it is it is stunning. And we're going to look at what it says to the what it has to say to the Sabbath in just a moment. But you need to hold that thought. New age begun. For just a moment, before we apply this whole thing, I want us to look forward to well, what? So, if this new age has begun and it's breaking into this age and kind of the age we're living in now, then it's kind of this age, but also the new age has started. There's an overlap. What's it going to be like when the whole thing comes to fruition? What is what is it going to be like when Jesus returns and the new age begins? So, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures from Revelation about that, then we're going to bring the whole thing together. So, Revelation 17, we're going to look again at um, the spirit of Babylon, this demonic. Um, spirit that sits over the nations and lures and seduces sinful people that have run, run away from the God of the Sabbath running headlong into their own desires and longings and ambitions we're going to look at what, what's to become of that so Revelation 17 one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me come I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup, full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, in apocalyptic literature like Daniel... Uh, and Revelation, the seas, we see there that she's sitting on the seas near the beginning. They're sitting on many waters. The waters represent the turmoil of the nations. The, the, the waters represent the way the nations are constantly fighting for supremacy and the, 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 um, the wars and the oppression and the political um, uh, machinations and all the things that go on between nations and wars that we read about in the newspapers all the time. It's, that is represented by the seas and by the many waters. Um, in, apo- in apocalyptic uh, literature. And so what we see is this, is that the striving of the nations, the striving of humanity that has run away from God, run away from the God of Sabbath, and just determines to make our own best way in the world and to uh, be uh, one step ahead of everyone else. And all of that, it provides this perfect platform for this demonic spirit, Babylon, to sit on. Okay? you got to understand that. 
selfish ambition, greed, determining to be first, pushing yourself forward at the expense of others, that whole spirit, that whole way of life, I'll make it on my own, I'll be ahead, I would prefer you, I'm going to get ahead of you, I determine I will be preeminent, we do it individually, we do it as families, we do it as nations, we, we do it as cities, that whole spirit it just provides a platform upon which this demonic spirit, this vile, disgusting thing, can sit and gives it a platform for its power and for its influence. You've got to understand that. You've got to catch that and understand that. But we see, praise God, that this thing will not last. Revelation 18, the first three verses. After this, saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. He called out with a mighty voice, Four and four on his babble on the great. She's kind of dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean, detestable beast. All nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So she's fallen, it's all over, and then in Revelation 21, we see some very interesting things that are very, we need to point out. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. That the sea was no more. Symbolic. When the new heavens and the new earth come, when Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new, there's not going to be any more of that spirit going on. I'm going to show you who's best. We're going to compete, build up arms, build up power. None of that anymore. There's no sea. Okay, that's what's being spoken there when that comes. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. In Eden, in the, in the, old, in the first creation, it seems like God would visit. In the call of the day, the presence of God would come and they would walk together with Adam and Eve. Here, God doesn't just visit, he lives here. So the dwelling place of God is with men. The whole, the whole of what has been in God's heart from the start comes to wonderful, perfect fruition. So you live constantly in the presence of the God of Sabbath. The God who is Shalom. You will dwell with him and see him face to face. Uh, just back, sorry. Please wait. Oh, thank you. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Okay, next slide please, Rach. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire, which is the second death. And one more. Please. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flying from the throne of God and the Lamb to the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life and its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And these are the trees for the hidden of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. So the curse that came to Adam and Eve, pain, toil, sweat, labor, no more of that, all gone. The throne of the God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. They will see his face. His name will be on his foreheads. Night will be no more. So even, even the physical time where we go have a sleep, no need for that anymore. They will need no lamp, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. I mean, this is where it's going. It's, it's, it's physical, it's new heavens and new earth, but it's glorious. 
That is where it's going. That is the plan of God for his people. His presence is our rest. The whole of the curse will be reversed. So my friends, what does that say to us about the Sabbath? You're all thinking, finally. Finally, finally, finally. Application. What, what am I saying? Number one, listen, the Sabbath as a concept, Sabbath rest, is for you. The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So whatever it's going to look like for Christians, I'm going to get into it in a minute, but whatever it looks like, it's for your benefit. Do you hear me? Do, do you want to have, do you want to benefit? Okay, whatever it looks like, it's for your benefit. You're thinking, oh no, I love Saturdays, I just love Saturdays, I don't want, I don't want to stop doing that on Saturday. Well, well, don't worry, we'll get it. Second application. We, I think we know that the Jewish Sabbath isn't our, isn't, we're not under that. I think we know that, I think we can even tell from looking at the scriptures between me and Israel forever. Most of us here aren't Jews. So I think most of us know, well yeah, I don't think we're kind of under that. But I think, I think we might say, but isn't there, but it's a creation ordinance. Genesis 2 is before the Jewish thing. It's a creation ordinance. Doesn't that stand? Doesn't that still stand? Up until today, I would have said yes. I would have said something like, yeah, well, we, you know, and I've said it. You can find the sermon online if you look hard enough, probably years ago. Six and one. Six and one. Why do I no longer believe it? Because I think it's really, really lazy to treat scripture like that. You cannot read something in Genesis 2 as profound as that. God rested, blessed the seventh day, made it holy, and it's like, yeah, we kind of have that. Look, kind of, well, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, but, yeah, you do, we're in London, you know. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. We get what God's saying. He's saying, have a rest every now and then. It's not. It's not what he's saying in that scripture at all. He's blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So I, don't, I just think if you do that, you're just sort of, it's convenient. I don't think you can do it. So, Sunday then. For years, Christians sort of said, well, no, not. We'll go for Sunday. We'll do it on Sunday. Keep Sunday special. Remember that? It was a big campaign. Keep Sunday special. For years and years in the UK, the shops weren't open on Sunday. Why? Because of a Christian history where actually, from earliest days, Christians, even in New Testament times, started to gather on a Sunday, not on a Saturday. And they called it the Lord's Day. And so what people did was they said, well, look, the Sabbath has changed. For the Jews, it's a Saturday. For the Christians, it's a Sunday. You cannot see that or find that in the New Testament. I don't think that... It's never taught that, this is, that the Sunday is now the Christian Sabbath. But I think it is important that the Christians start meeting on a Sunday because what they're saying is this. It's a new creation. They weren't saying it's a new Sabbath. But they were saying, this is a new... Hey, we're going to meet on a Sunday because it's the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the day that new creation began. We're going to gather and celebrate resurrection of Christ, new life and new creation every Sunday. And that's why we do it, and it's wonderful. But I don't think ever there's any teaching in the New Testament that says, and that's your Sabbath. I think it's there. So what then? 
what is it? But Sabbath's a big deal. Is it not? Yeah, I think it is a big deal. Sabbath rest. Really big deal. Colossians 2 helps us here. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You've got Jews and Gentiles in churches together. There's, there's, there's strife, there's difficulty. Let no one pass judgment on you. And then he says, these things, these, talking about festivals and new moons and Sabbaths, are a shadow of the things to come. Just a shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. Christ is the substance of the things to come. So in the new heavens and the new earth, the substance of my rest is Christ. And so my Sabbath rests in this age as one who lives in the overlap of the ages. I live in this age, but really I'm living in a new age. What or, or who is my Sabbath rest? Jesus. Jesus is your Sabbath rest. Question comes from this. So is God still as serious about the Sabbath as he was back then? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is as serious about you finding rest in Christ as he was back then. About his people finding rest in the seventh day. It is as big a deal that you walk in rich rest in Christ take that seriously as it was for the Jews to observe that seventh day absolutely now, am, I, am I saying you shouldn't take a day off for a week I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that some, what, some, what, in the fabric of creation then that we shouldn't have rest no I'm not I'm not saying that but what I'm what I'm teaching you is New Testament I don't think you can I don't think it I don't think it's a, a strong argument for saying you've got to it's a Saturday or it's a Sunday or it's this or it's that I think there is definitely the way we've been made in God and God's showing us yeah of course we should take rest we talk about that yeah absolutely but if you want to really get into Sabbath rest what's going on it's Christ the substance the substance of the things to come is Jesus Christ and so you need to be in fear of God regarding walking with Christ you need to be in the fear of God regarding appropriating the means of grace. God gives you the Bible so that you can know Jesus better. God gives you prayer and fellowship so you can grow in Christ. Take that seriously. Be gripped by that. Don't, don't sit there, oh yeah, it's kind of under grace, kind of a bit of that. No, 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 listen. Listen, of course you're under grace. But God's given you these things in his grace so that you can grow and walk in the beauty of fellowship with Christ and that you can display to the nations what it looks like when the people follow their God. What it looks like when the people delight in their God. What it looks like when the people walk in true fellowship with their God. The last way to respond is to throw off roots to finding our rest in Christ. Be in Jesus' teaching. Take his yoke on you and find rest. Hebrews 4 verse 11 talks about a very, it's final scripture. It's very, very, very shocking. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. sound very restful so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience he's talking about unbelief he's talking to a church that were really tempted to go back to Judaism and away from Jesus and he's saying look no, the Jews never entered God's rest they constantly to their unbelief and their disobedience they walked away from God they never entered rest and he's talking about our rest is in Christ and he's saying let us therefore strive to enter that rest there is a fight on for us 
to enjoy the rest of Christ. It doesn't just drop into your lap. You've got to, you've got to actually say, I'm going to, I'm going to get a hold of God here. I'm going to, so whatever your thing might be, anxiety, anger, just sense, I don't sense the love of God. I'm sure we've all, all, all got things, haven't we? think, oh, I don't feel like, you know, I, I'm not completely there on that one. None of us are. There's a call for us to fight the fight of faith and to strive to enter the rest. And it's primarily about our relationship with God in Christ. There is wisdom around that. Wisdom about sleep, eat, uh, sleep, diet, pattern of life. All of, yes, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But when the Bible's talking about striving to enter, it's not talking about that. It's talking about believe God. Believe all that God is for you in Christ. And believe that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And, 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 and fight for that. Fight for that. Our destiny is full and final rest in Jesus. That's our destiny. We've read about it in Revelation. In the here and now, when we're living in the overlap of the ages, the new creation has started, but we're still living in the current age, there should be those growing degrees of experience of this inheritance. Tangibly. So I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm less anxious. I'm more joyful. I'm knowing the love of God in my heart more. There should be tangible growth in these areas. And I really want to just finish the day by... I mean, we've covered some ground and, you know, I get it. I know. You you probably think, oh man, you know, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. But the reason why I think many of you, when I said Sabbath rest at the start, sat up a bit straighter, is because a lot of the challenges we deal with, I think, number one, being young, Many, many in the church are at the younger end. And there's so many things to draw your attention and draw your, that want your attention. And it sometimes takes a good number of years before you, you reach a point where you're able to peacefully say no to stuff. And also the lure of the city with so much on offer. So many dreams bubbling away. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a good thing. It's a stage of life where dreams are just, you know, so many dreams are alive. But it can, it can lead to overload. And it can lead to just feeling, I just feel, I feel washed up, I feel drained, I feel wrung out. And so I really want to urge to you, listen, God has provided Jesus Christ for you, that you might enjoy living out and working out of rest. Yeah? Where you're making wise decisions about all the things like sleep, work and time, yes, absolutely. But fundamentally, you're living out of such rich fellowship with Jesus, that there's a rest even about your busyness. I know that's what you want. I know that's what God wants for you. And for those of you that have never come to Jesus, I want to say He, I want to just repeat those simple words from Matthew 11 on the last slide. Please just hear this now. I'm going to, this is the Lord speaking to you. You know, if you've, you've never, He says to you, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden. Is that you? Are you, are, are you heavy laden? I will give you rest. There's a promise for Jesus today. He will give you rest. What have you got to do? He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn what I'm teaching. And learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me say this. Jesus should not be a source of stress in our lives, but a source of rest. Okay? A source of rest. It only becomes a source of stress when you're trying to serve two masters. You're trying to serve him and something else. Then it becomes really stressful. But when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, he is to be a source of absolute divine rest in our lives. Not that it's always easy, but that is that is absolutely what he's doing, looking to me. So I want to just finish by praying, and I want to particularly ask 
people here that have never come to Jesus, never found rest in Christ. You might have looked here, there and everywhere. You might look different religions, different spiritual ideas, different philosophies, different leisurely things, different diets, different fads, and you're thinking, you know, there's a, that hunger in your soul. You know you do not know that rest from God. And I want to I call you today to come to Jesus. Don't come to me. Come to Jesus. You don't need me. I can't fix it. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Cry out to him. Tell him. Tell him that, Jesus, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Here's my life. It might not be much. Here it is. Can you make something of it? I give myself to you. Forgive, wash me, and make me brand new. He will do it. He will do it. Just tell him where you are. He'll respond to you in that way.